I think there's this like false narrative of you have to grow, you have to grow fast, you have to grow big. Hey, my name is Felix Tia. I'm the host of Shopify Masters, a weekly podcast powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. Each week, we invite entrepreneurs like you to share what they've learned growing successful e-commerce businesses. In this episode, you'll learn how you can still succeed in business when you're not a risk taker, what to do if you're an entrepreneur that likes starting businesses, but then tends to jump around, and why she hired a PR agency with her first profits. Today, I'm joined by Mel Wells from Beefcake Swimwear. Beefcake Swimwear makes androgynous one-piece 1920 swimsuits in the USA with sustainable manufacturing and inclusive sizing. It was started in 2017 and is based out of Missoula, Montana. Welcome, Mel. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. So this all started, this all this whole uh, this whole idea behind this business all started with you on a vintage Singer sewing machine in your basement. And it says here that you attempted to replicate a 1920 swimsuit for your roommate. So what were you doing making 1920s uh, swimsuits? <laughs> well, she really wanted one, but of course they're all vintage and they're all made of wool, which is not great for swimming in. And I grew up um, like a nerd sewing my own clothes. And because I was so tall. So I was like, oh, I know how to do this. I know how to sew clothes. I'll try making one for you. Turns out sewing stretchy fabric is terrible. Um, but along the way, a bunch of other folks said that they were also interested in 1920 swimsuits. And so I started to think it might be a viable business idea. I just knew that I didn't want to do the sewing. Right. So first of all, I didn't know that back then it was made out of wool. Like I see all those photos, but I have no idea that it was, <laughs> they must've felt like so uncomfortable, but I guess oh, they didn't sure. know, they didn't know any better back then. So that, that's interesting. So when you first made this, I guess, very, very first edition, this very first prototype, you were, were you looking to kind of seek feedback to see if there was a viable business out of it or how did people start noticing your creation? Uh, it was mostly because I was complaining about it. <laughs> <laughs> I lived in a house with a bunch of roommates and um, was just, you know, sewing it in the living room. And so folks would come by and see what I was doing. Um, or I was talking to my friends um, that I was making one for and she was talking to other people. So this like weird word of mouth started up where it seemed to be um, that everybody was really interested in a swimsuit that was kind of masculine that didn't have a skirt on it, but still had some coverage. Got it. So you recognize that there might be a, a viable business model out of it because people were expressing interest in it and, and you'd launched this on Kickstarter, which we'll get to in a bit. Did you, did you ever do any kind of validation before that? Did you try selling it any other ways? Like before you took that kind of leap towards investing your time and resource into a Kickstarter campaign? You know, I really didn't. I figured a Kickstarter was kind of a low-risk way to see if it would actually work. Um, I did spend about two years um, and about, I'd say about $5,000 of my own money just researching um, and prototyping. So I lucked out. I found this place in Portland, Oregon that was a manufacturer of activewear that had zero minimums, which in retail wow. is in Unheard like insane. Yeah. And so I contacted them and asked them about prototyping um, just to see, because I, I knew that this was a good idea. I just didn't know how to do it. Um, and so they were super helpful. It's JLD Studios in Portland, Oregon, and they only do leggings now, but I snuck in and got them to do my swimsuits. Um, and we tested on I think I mailed suits and had probably about 10 or 12 people across the country, just friends and friends of friends, try them on, give me feedback on how they fit, um, just so I could kind of get as close to, well, not perfect, but as close to what I wanted as possible when we did finally launch the Kickstarter. Okay. So two years, 5,000 of your own money. This is, this is a pretty big investment for, some, for <laughs> the time and money-wise, right? For someone that's just... Was this your first of all? Was this your first like attempt at starting a business? Uh, I've always been kind of entrepreneurial. Um, mm -hmm. In fifth grade, the first time I got called to the principal's office was for selling candy on the nice. um, playground. <laughs> right of passage for an entrepreneur. So, <laughs> yeah, but like even then, like two years and five thousand. I mean, I think the two years part is even more of an investment. Where I, I would see a lot of, I think that's that's an accomplishment because I think a lot of people will spend two years or would try to spend two years on something and kind of give up. 
along the way. So you had a plan. Obviously, you had this vision in mind for what you wanted, at least perfect to your vision. What were you looking for? Like, what was it that you wanted to see before you felt comfortable moving forward and you know eventually going Kickstarter? Um, for me, it was so slow because I'm really into research and I'm very much, uh, I like to know what I'm jumping into before I actually take a leap. So part of that was just like personal style. Um, it wasn't like struggling for two years. It was, uh, researching and doing all this in my spare time. I worked at a nonprofit where my day job was more than full time. Um, and I'm also a little bit of a writer, so I had other hobbies going on. So it just was like where I could kind of, um, put time into, on the side was part of the reason it took so long. And Mm -hmm. for me, I just wanted to make sure that I did it right. I really cared about the people that I would be making these swimsuits for, and I wanted to do it sustainably um, and to just kind of grow slow. It really wasn't about making money. It was about doing this thing and doing it right. Right. Yeah. I think this this concept, which you talk about in the pre-interview, which I definitely want to touch on about going slow, going at a pace that makes sense for you is an important one because a lot of people get burnt out if they don't, if they think that there's this kind of timeline, right? They're watching the clock and trying to get somewhere sooner than, than what is what they then what's maybe comfortable for them so how did you keep the momentum going though because i think there's this also other side which which where if you go slow enough you start feeling the friction you start feeling the drag more of this thing slowing down to maybe nothing to 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 but to, to, like basically like burning out right and in the, the other way so how did you keep the momentum going to make sure that you were at least staying on track even though you're going at a slower pace i think it was just the excitement whenever i talked to other people about this project um Everyone that I talked to from the initial fitters, the fit testers, were just so excited about the swimsuit that it made it helped it helped me be really excited. And then um once once we launched the Kickstarter, that blew up. <laughs> and the feedback was incredible. And we had an original goal of raising ten thousand dollars. I knew that was my like minimum viable make this thing work um, and not lose my shirt amount. And we raised 35000 And so that was thrilling. And then along the way, um, we've had people email us saying, this is the first time I've been in a swimsuit in 10 years, or I cried when I put this on because it felt so good. Um, the feedback that we get from folks wearing the swimsuits is what really keeps me excited and motivated, even when um, this is still a part-time job for me. It's still, in addition to my day job, um, evenings and weekends, just kind of whenever I can squeak it in. Right. I think that's an important thing to look for where the journey is, is can be very lonely, especially if you're doing this by yourself, which you are in, in, in your case where you're kind of like the you know, solo employee, solo founder of this thing. So, but you, what you look for is that you look into, you look towards the community, right? You look towards the people's lives that you're improving and then using that as fuel. Like you're saying, sometimes you, you just need one person, you know, that you're improving their life and makes it worthwhile for you to, to spend the time on this. So yeah, so two years again that you spent on this, how many iterations did it take before you got to that point where you felt comfortable moving forward from this kind of research and development phase? Um, well, there was my uh, initial terrible one. And then there was the, I think we had two or three that um, JLD made first that I tried on. I had my friend try on. I had my well, my girlfriend at the time try on. Um, and then we had some feedback and we did one more iteration and sent those all over the country and had those folks try them on. And then we went for it. Um, and we actually ended up so we did all the suits for the Kickstarter. We did about, I think it was 350 suits. And then we started selling online. But then I started getting feedback from folks who had supported the Kickstarter that they wanted improvements. And I always viewed the Kickstarter as like, help us start this thing, give us feedback, help us make it the best product possible. And so I did a survey of all our Kickstarter backers and tried to really listen to them and see what was working for folks and what wasn't. And one big um, thing that we did that we stopped doing was a shelf bra. It just didn't work well enough for enough people. So we stopped doing that and we started lining the entire front of the suit. It added probably a couple dollars worth of material and labor to each suit, but it, to me it was worth it. And um, we also switched fabrics to something more sustainable. Um, the fabric we use now is imported from Italy. It's some of the most sustainable polyester fabric that you can find. It's 100% polyester, recycled polyester, and then the um, lycra 
spandex content is chlorine resistant. So it's like some of the best fabric you can find in the world. Um, and so we started making our suits with that fabric, lining the front. And then, then I felt like, oh, okay, now we've really got it right. And I feel confident about it. Yeah. And to, to, even to this day, are you still getting feedback on ways to improve the product and, and are planning on, on uh, implementing those today? You know, there's um, the bust support is one thing that we have not figured out that a lot of people ask for. Um, it's kind of an engineering problem where you have to find something that will bind up top, but will also fit over a person's hips. Um, and we have not figured that out yet in this specific type of swimsuit. So that's something that is always on my mind. Um, but that's probably probably a few years down the road, to be honest. It's a lot of money to prototype. And right now, um, we're pouring all of our money into just keeping our inventory in stock. Got it. Yeah, I think that the, the, it's an important point where there is no this kind of finalized stage of your product or finalized stage of your business. You're always constantly trying to make improvements or take feedback and implement it or spending time trying to solve things. I think that's an important point where you know, a lot of times people think, okay, I'm going to launch on Kickstarter, I get the money and I sell the products and that's it. It's, it's usually not the case, right? <laughs> it's like you got to constantly, if you don't like the, you don't like solving problems, like you're in the wrong kind of feel. Like this uh, is like a constant, yeah. a constant game. <laughs> I'm sure we'll get into that a lot, a lot in a little bit. But yeah, let's talk about Kickstarter. So you mentioned earlier $10,000 was the goal and they end up raising uh, over 35000 from 400 122 backers and uh so so how did that happen like what did you what were you doing pre-kickstarter let's start with pre-kickstarter what were you doing pre-kickstarter to to now looking back on it that that helped you get this uh campaign successfully funded i think a lot of my research probably helped um part of that two years before launching was looking at other kickstarters um seeing what was successful seeing who failed backing some, um, seeing what rewards I've got, how soon they set the rewards, um, and just making sure that I knew what a really good campaign entailed. Because it seems, I think on at the surface level, it can seem really easy, but a Kickstarter campaign is a difficult thing to execute and execute well. Um, I get people asking me all the time, like, how did you do it? And I'm like, uh, two years of work. And then they don't email me back. <laughs> I think no, no. But I want to know how you did it in the overnight is the idea that they want to, to find out from you. So what were some of the things that you found then about what made a campaign successful? Like, what were some, if you were to launch another campaign, what are some things that you want to definitely include to, to at least, uh, you know, I guess shift the odds into your favor? Yeah, I think for me, um, having a, a prototype that was done and like in the video so you could see it in action is really important. Um, I saw a lot of folks who just didn't have anything as a consumer, like reading these Kickstarters campaigns, it didn't seem viable to me or it just didn't seem quite real. Um, and that, so that would like any question of whether or not you can pull this off, you have to be able to say, yes, we've done it. Here it is. Um, the other one was the human connection for me. My video was not slick. I did it in my office, in my apartment. Um, but it was for me, it was very authentic and from my heart. And like, this is why I'm doing this. This is the person you are giving the money to. Um, and I try really hard to continue that like very personal human connection where it's not like I'm the boss and you are my consumers. It's like, I'm a person doing this thing that I hope you will like. I'm kind of looking for fans more than customers. Hmm. That's a good perspective. So are, are there things uh, in your research that you definitely want to avoid including or doing during your campaign that, that is likely to cause a failure? Um, I'd say communicate as often as you possibly can. It's a lot of work, but just a little note to people so they're not hanging um, really helps. And then sometimes I'd answer something and then we'd see a bump in backers. And so I think that people really look to what you're saying, even during the campaign, um, to see whether or not they want to support you. Got it. And you mentioned that one of the factors you looked at was the the time, I guess, the timeline between backing it and getting the, I guess, the end of the campaign and getting the reward. Was there an optimal timeline that you saw? A, it was within six months, I'd say. Um, you got to turn things around pretty quickly. And I understand like some folks would sell 
crazy amounts. And I kind of didn't want, um, (laughs) confession, I didn't want to succeed too much because I didn't want to outstrip my ability to deliver. And so I did a shorter campaign. Um, and I, my motto is always under promise and then over deliver. So I knew how many suits my manufacturer could make per month. And I tried to time the delivery of those rewards, um, accordingly, so that everybody wasn't backing and thinking they were all going to get their rewards in the first three months, if that makes sense. That does. Got it. So once the campaign ended, you, you successfully broke through, tripled your, your, your goal uh, and raised $35,000. What was next? Like what, what happened after the campaign ended? Uh, we started making suits. <laughs> Did you, you, you already had like a, you mentioned that you already had a uh, manufacturer lined up at the time, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And I had their timeline lined up. And I knew that the very end of the campaign, some folks' suits, it was going to be pushing into like October, which is kind of a crappy time to be getting a swimsuit in the United States. But again, I just tried to be super communicative with folks and let them know, hey, I have this manufacturer. They're small. They're woman-owned. They're in the United States. I really believe them and trust them and enjoy partnering with them. And so that's who I'm using. I'm not going to outsource this. You're just going to have to be patient. Right. Makes sense. Okay. So you went and manufactured that in, what was it? Your, your timeline was also, uh, I guess on the, on the very, uh, on the, on the, the reward that, that had the longest time and that was six months. Yeah. I think our campaign ended, um, I think it was April 5th and I think our final suits shipped like a week before Thanksgiving, something like that. And then we, um, launched our online store in like November, um, which is again, such a weird time to launch a swimsuit company online. But um, it was kind of nice because we didn't have much inventory. We started with about 100 suits because we had spent so much time making all the um, Kickstarter rewards that it was actually good because then we didn't sell out immediately. Okay, got it. So you didn't, you basically kind of went almost like dark for a bit and just focused on manufacturing the suits to fulfill the orders from the Kickstarter. And then once you got out of that phase, you then launched your website with some inventory, about 100 suits, and you went live then. Did you, what informed your decision on what kind of inventory to, to, to stock? Well, I kind of, uh, I'm a spreadsheet nerd. And so I made a spreadsheet of, which sizes and styles sold on the Kickstarter and then just use that as my guide when I was ordering more suits to keep in stock. And it, it matched, like you basically extrapolated like the percent, like the breakdown of percentages of people in different sizes like over like a hundred uh, pieces. Okay, got it. Did, did that match up? Like the reality between what you sold on Kickstarter match up with the reality of what you would sell on your website? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a really good indicator of what was going to sell. Um, and even now as I launch new suits, I can kind of, um, align the sizes that I think will sell with what's sold previously. Um, sometimes we get that wrong. Um, often, uh, we've been marketing more towards, um, plus size consumers. And so I've been, um, sold out of the larger sizes a lot this summer, unfortunately, but it's, it's been pretty predictive. Got it. So when you are selling on your, your own site, when you, I guess that very first month or so that you were launching on your own site, were you doing anything at that time to, to promote it? Like how were people finding out about it now that the kind of buzz from Kickstarter might have started to fizzle out? You know, it was still just word of mouth. Um, we have an Instagram that uh, has been pretty successful, I think. And it was cute because we started getting photos from folks wearing their swimsuits, which was awesome and so fun to see. So I just started reposting those. Um, I think I maybe spent like $500 the first year on advertising because we just had, we had no budget. Every penny we made went right back into making more inventory. Hey, real quick, if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. Let us know what you think or what you'd like to hear more of. Now, let's get back to the interview. Got it. it. Makes sense. So you mentioned that your process for uh, launching new suits. I want to learn more about this. Like, how do you decide what to, to to design? Like, how do you know what you should be focused on producing next? I try to listen to folks. Um, we in a, one of those Kickstarter surveys, I asked everybody what their um, what colors they would most like to see, and those were green and purple. So the next suits that we launched were a green one and a purple one. Um, and honestly, the green one I launched because it was the suit that I wanted, (laughs) um, the, the stone Fox, it's very seventies. 
Um, and I was, I was a little worried. I was curious to see how it would go. And that's become our second bestseller after the, um, the original in black. So that was pretty exciting to see. Makes sense. So you mentioned that you do something interesting, which is that whenever you do sell a product and you ship it out, you insert a card with every purchase asking folks to tag you on social. How, how, how has this uh, worked out so far? It's been awesome. Um, we do have folks who are really enthusiastic about our suits and it's, you know, it's so funny. We just did a photo shoot um, the other day and we had a very diverse lineup of people, very different body types and styles and genders. And um, they all put on their swimsuits and people literally walk out of the dressing room dancing. And it's like, when was the last time you put on a swimsuit and we're like excited about it? Swimsuit shopping is horrible. <laughs> um, and so it's been fun that I was worried. I was like, maybe folks won't want to tag us because posting a picture of yourself in a swimsuit feels kind of vulnerable. But so far, people love them and feel comfortable and strong and confident in them. And that has been fantastic to see. That's amazing. Yeah, the photos on your site are, are awesome. The product photos and the lifestyle shots are awesome. What, how is that done? <laughs> Was that done all in-house? you hire help with creating a photo shoot like this? Well, um, with our shoestring budget, our first photo shoot was um, all friends. And, you know, actually, our last one was pretty much all friends, too. Um, And then we hire a local photographer and we try to be really cognizant of having a very diverse lineup. um, And that's really representative of a wide spectrum of folks. Um, And that's all just we hire a photographer. My my wife actually pretty much handles the photo shoots. She herds the cats. And then we just go have a fun party on the beach and take photos. That's amazing. Yeah, so I want to get back to this idea of how you are going at your own pace. And you mentioned that you guys have grown thoughtfully and sustainably, and you're more interested in disrupting the exploitative, harmful business of fast fashion and creating a quality product than you are in terms of making, you know, loads of quick cash or, you know, being on Shark Tank or like trying to get all this buzz (laughs) on on TV. And that's the approach that you want to take. And I think this is, again, an important counterpoint to the more often seen and heard uh, advice of entrepreneurship, which is to, to, you know, just live on ramen and just spend all your, your, your money and all your stress out every, every night about your business. Otherwise you're not a true entrepreneur. You're talking about taking a much more mindful and I think sane approach to running a business. So tell us about, was that, was that difficult for you to, when you're hearing so much counter, uh, I guess, advice counter to that? Yeah, I, um, it's been an, an interesting journey because, um, imposter syndrome is real. Like just want to put that out there. Um, and I am cautious because I didn't want to put all my eggs in this basket. Um, I've always known with swimsuits, like H&M could do a suit like this tomorrow and charge so much less and just kill us. I mean, that would be it. Um, except for I hope, you know, folks would understand like, oh, the way that we make things and the quality of our product, you know. But like, let's be honest, retail is cutthroat and it's, to me, not like somewhere I wanted to invest my whole life in. Um, so it's always kind of been like, let's do this thing. Let's do it extremely well and let's see where it goes. Um, and I also, I think there's this like false narrative of you have to grow, you have to grow fast and you have to grow big. And I watch companies grow and then die and then grow and then die because they have so much debt that just one thing makes them, um, really unstable. And so for me, it's always been about, being really sustainable, not just in an environmentally friendly way, but in an energy way, um, in a money way for me, I, we've never been in debt. We took out a very, very tiny loan our first year for like a little cash flow so we could get some inventory. But other than that, we've been in the black since we started. And that is extremely important to me. Um, I'm just, I'm not really a risk taker when it comes to businesses. And I think that you're right. There's this narrative of like, you have to, otherwise it's not real. But this is real and it feels good. <laughs> yeah, I think I really want to hear more of your story about this, like not a risk taker, because again, this is very counter to mainstream entrepreneurship storylines where you have to take a lot of risk. So you're not a risk taker. So tell us more about 
your experience because you come in with that kind of personality, right? Where you are risk averse because I think a lot of people hesitate to go into entrepreneurship uh, because or start their own business because they think they don't have the guts to take big risks. But you are demonstrating that you can start a business, go at your own pace and not take crazy risks. Just tell us about maybe the pros and cons of that. Like what have you been able to, maybe we'll start the pros. Like what have you been able to to do that you think that you would not be able to do uh, if you were, if you weren't so, you know, I guess uh, careful with your approach to starting a business? Yeah, I think, um, I think my work-life bit, uh, balance has been a lot better. <laughs> like I'm not, I'm not eating ramen, um, and like living with 14 roommates, uh, I mean, I was in my 30s when I started this. I was kind of done with that lifestyle. Um, and I've been able to have a social life. Uh, I would not recommend doing a Kickstarter while you're also planning a wedding, but I did that. <laughs> it's, Which one is it's harder? Just, oh, my God. Uh, probably the wedding, honestly. Um, but it's, uh, I don't know. It's been, for me, it's just been a matter of that's my life. I like having a lot of different projects happening. Um, I think I would get bored and burnt out if this was my whole life. Um, and again, it feels, I feel like an imposter because I'm not constantly on Instagram talking about like entrepreneur life and like talking up my business. Um, because it's just, it's not the whole thing about who I am. I'm not saving the world. I know that I'm just like making swimsuits that hopefully make a good positive difference in people's lives. Um, would it be cool to make a million dollars? Yeah. I'm not like, I don't hate money, but I also just don't want to, I think it's because I got married, honestly, and I wanted to be a responsible partner. Um, I didn't want to risk all of my money because it would affect my partner, um, doing this thing. And so I think she probably like helps me be a little more reasonable about what I could and couldn't take on. And that has been, really nice. Um, I think I would probably hate this business if it was taking over my life and causing me to lose sleep and stressing me out all the time. Like I love that it's really enjoyable. And I think the pace is part of the reason I enjoy it. Right. I think, um, the, the, the balance of this kind of a balancing act, right? It's not just that you can just stop working for a month because you feel like taking a break. There's still a balance of at least maintaining, right? There's at least a maintenance mode. So do you yeah. say, like, what are some things that maybe you said no to? Uh, like, I guess these are this is more on the con side. Like, what are some opportunities that maybe you said no to or some opportunities that you saw that you decided not to pursue because you wanted to make sure that you wouldn't hate your business at the end of the day? I mean, marketing, I just haven't done that much. We, um, we finally hired a PR firm this summer and that's been phenomenal because it's something I don't enjoy, but it's something I didn't have money for until this year. And they are really helping us grow. And it's so fun to have people to talk to, um, besides my wife who are excited about the business and understand what we're doing and are trying to help us grow like that. I wish I could have afforded that the first year because it's been a game changer for my energy levels and my enjoyment of what I'm doing. Um, so yeah, I said no to that the first year because we just couldn't afford it. Um, and that has made a huge positive difference in what we're doing. Right. And I'm sure it varies from industry to industry, maybe from city to city, but what are some budgets that you need to at least have before you can even think about hiring a PR firm or PR agency? Well, budgeting wise, I just wanted to do my taxes the first year and see what we even had left over. <laughs> um, our suits are $42 to make, and that's just fabric and labor. Um, and so a $99 price point is kind of insane in the retail world. Um, and I try to be really transparent about that so that whenever someone objects um, to our price point, because I understand it's way more expensive than like Target or Walmart or something, um, I try to explain, no, this is what manufacturing that isn't exploiting people looks like like this is the price this is how everything should be priced um so that the folks who are making it are receiving fair wages you know we're not exploiting the earth we're not exploiting resources we're doing this right um and so that first year i we barely were a six-figure company <laughs> um which you know all my family was like oh my gosh you're gonna quit your job and i was like oh no because our costs are so high, the actual take-home was much lower. 
and I wasn't sure how taxes were going to work out that first year. So I just kind of know, didn't know what we even had to work out or to work with. Um, and so after we got our tax returns back this year and I was like, oh, cool, we made a profit last year. I can hire advertising this year. <laughs> like, That's cool. Okay. So, so basically, uh, you definitely need to have, you can't really invest in this right off the bat in a PR agency. It makes sense for you to look at this as a way to kind of celebrate your growth once you have some kind of sustainable business at first. So tell us about what it's like to work with uh, someone that works, I guess, with a PR agency. Like what's in, I guess, what's their their job? What do they do for you? Yeah, um, so we work with a company called Rebellious PR and they are in Portland, Oregon. um, And they are super queer friendly, woman owned, um, amazing company. And I was also really, really picky about who I wanted to work with. And these guys were kind of my dream team because I feel like they understand what we're doing. Um, and they have been accessing, uh, reporters that I don't have time or interest in like trying to send out a million press releases to everybody, but they have those contacts. They know their writing styles. They can spend time doing that. So that was like my number one awesome, please do this for me request. Um, a fun thing they've been doing is finding some influencers to wear our swimsuits. So like Jess, who was, um, on Queer Eye. She wore our new suit, the Charmer, the kind of like rainbow pride suit. And that was the first post anywhere. It was on Instagram. That's kind of how we launched our suit. And that was so fun because I love Jess and the response was so positive. And that would have never happened without these guys. That's awesome. Okay, so they found these influencers for you. They found people that work in, in, in uh, with publications that might want to write about you. What's your involvement? Like, how do you when you hire a PR agency? I'm sure it's not just like you know wipe your hands clean and they do all your marketing <laughs> for you. Like, what what do you have to do to contribute to the success? We have uh, like a weekly phone call where we chat about things. We email a couple of times a week. Um, I enjoy writing. I consider myself a writer. And so I've been putting together some pitches or just like some ideas for pitches for them to send out. Um, and mostly it's just, um, I'd say just like talking through how we want to brand things. Um, and they have like little homework assignments for me sometimes. They were actually the ones who connected me with this podcast. So <laughs> they've been um, helping me figure out how to position the brand and talk about it and get it out in the world. Got it. So I want to talk about the um, the spreadsheets that you you, you seem to, uh, to 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 love looking at, and I think it's important <laughs> that especially because you're looking at this early on. Because I think a lot of times businesses start off and they don't know their numbers for a long time, and I'm surprised sometimes they, they can last long enough to have the luxury of not looking at their numbers. But you 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 seem to know your numbers from the very beginning. What what are the numbers that people should be paying attention to, especially when you're just starting out? Like, what are the key things to keep like kind of a laser focus on to make sure that you're not going to, you know, go bankrupt. Yeah. I think it's really important to figure out how much it is actually costing you to make a product and how much you are paying yourself. Um, and having a sort of honest conversation with yourself of, am I making, am I paying myself enough to not burn out? Um, we knew really early exactly how much it would cost to produce a swimsuit, exactly how much the packaging was. And I made a spreadsheet and broke it down into like a per swimsuit price, partly for myself and partly so that, um, I could talk to people about it. Um, that $99 price point, you know, again, if anybody had any pushback, I can go through and explain exactly what is involved in, um, deciding that price point. If we were luxury, we could probably do a $300 swimsuit, but that's not what I want to do. Um, anyway, yeah, just uh, paying attention to how much it's actually costing you to run your business, um, hard materials and labor-wise, and being honest with yourself about that is really important. Mm. So are there surprises that you think um, maybe people that are not as seasoned at looking at the numbers might run into or might maybe gloss over when they are trying to calculate the cost, like surprises that are, you know, like, hey, surprise, you owe more money than you think kind of surprises? <laughs> well, uh, hiring an accountant is more expensive than you think. <laughs> that was a surprise. Uh, I think just my personality is also pretty optimistic. And so I myself will gloss over how much things are really costing because I want them to be 
otherwise. And so for me, um, and I'm not intimidated by numbers. It's really, it's pretty simple math. Anyone can do it. Um, if you can add and subtract, you have a calculator, you shouldn't be intimidated by the numbers. And it's, it's interesting because it's real numbers. This is, this is your life. This is your business. Um, so it's not scary, hard math, but also I just had to remember to really take a hard look at what everything was costing. Um, and not just being like, Oh, well I can use this tape roll of packing tape that was left over from my day job. And it's like, no, you need to go buy your own tape and factor it in. Like, it's so silly. It was probably $6, but just little things like that really add up. Right. You kind of have to set up your, your like almost financial models for, for scale, right? You can't just be like, oh, I can kind of skimp here because I can, you know, find recycled this or recycle that. Like you actually have to think about if you're running this as a business that was maybe 10 times the size, like are these like, numbers that you would actually care about. So I think that's an important point about how you have to take it seriously. You know, even if you're just starting out and you're bringing in nothing, like you take it seriously from the start, I think you can make much wiser decisions. Um, so I want to talk about the other point which you brought up, which is about how you have to pay yourself enough to not burn out. I love the way you say this. I've never heard anyone say it before, but I think it's uh, it's reality, which is if you are, you know, just busting your butt for like five years and not make any money at all, like you're crazy or like you're going to burn out somewhere <laughs> before that. So tell us about how you recognize it. Cause I think a lot of the other, I guess, uh, counter the advice or storyline counter to or narrative counter to what you, you, you're telling us here is that don't pay yourself anything, like pay yourself last and like, you know, don't take any money out of the business, but you're saying to keep this sustainable, to make sure you enjoy this, make sure you actually are paying yourself. So how did you, did you know that from the beginning or did you discover that along the way? I think I knew that from the beginning. I've um, gotten burnt out at work before at other jobs and I've, you know, we all made like bad decisions and burned ourselves. And I think at this point I recognize that I love starting projects. That's so fun and so interesting and it's challenging. But then I knew I was going to need something to keep me doing it. Um, and part of that was just straight up money. You know, <laughs> like I'll buy myself a new pair of shoes um, and just be like, you know what? You made money last year. You're in the black. You can buy yourself a freaking pair of shoes and that's okay. You know, um, and just little things like that where it feels like, Yes, I'm in this business to make awesome suits and I don't want to exploit people price-wise, but I don't want to exploit myself. Um, and so I have to recognize like I'm going to need some little carrots along the way to keep myself doing this. And sometimes that's just going to be money. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important to note that you, when you burn yourself out, you're you are doing this service to your customers because you're not going to produce a a good product, or maybe you'll you'll go out of business and you no longer are serving anybody. So I think that's important that you do that. So you, I'm not sure. Did you have like a methodical approach to arriving at this number? Like I think people are going to also take this advice and think, okay, what's the maybe bare minimum that I could pay myself, and then end up choosing something too small and then burning out. Uh, because of that. So how do you make sure that you're happy with the number that you choose to pay yourself? Um, I mean, for me, it was like, well, I'm going to start with minimum wage um, <clears throat> and just try to like, try to see if I can do that with the idea of if for some reason something happened to me and this business still needed to run and we had to hire someone, like, I don't know, I break my arm and I can't like package swimsuits or something just like a hypothetical what would I pay someone else to do this um and if I couldn't get minimum wage in there then I something needed to change our original price point was $95 a suit um I worked it out to like ideally we'd be about 108 or 115 um we're not we're still at 99 and I am trying my damnedest to keep it under 100 but that is I think we're probably gonna have to raise our prices at some point Mm -hmm. Just because of like the cost that it requires for you to run the business? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I barely paid myself minimum wage last year. Probably, I'm probably still lying to myself about that number, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> Speaking of, don't lie to yourself. <laughs> yeah, well, well, you at least know that you're lying to yourself. So I guess that's not silly lying. <laughs> 
So okay, so you mentioned also to us that that you realized that after you know the last couple of years is that starting a business was more complicated and time consuming than you had imagined, and then you compared it to planning a wedding as well. So how can you? Well, I guess looking back on it, what were some things that you maybe uh, overlooked uh, that that kind of surprised you and and added? Because I think you know complication or things that take more time are usually surprises, right? So what are some surprises along the way that that made this uh, a little bit more complicated, time consuming than than you had originally thought? Yeah, I think um, customer service emails take a lot more time and energy than I originally thought. I hadn't had a whole lot of experience in retail, to be honest. I've always been on like nonprofit publishing sort of tracks in my career. And so that was um, <laughs> that was a surprise, um, just budgeting enough time for that. And then, again, speaking to my like, I love starting projects thing, we did the Kickstarter. And then um, I was like, oh, Wait, I own a business. I have I like have to keep going. <laughs> I have to figure out how to design a website. Um and thank God for the templates on Shopify cuz I am not a web designer. Um so shout out to those. It's been really nice to have a sort of plug and play option um that I can just tinker with and do on my own without having to hire someone especially in that early part where we just had zero budget for anything. Yeah, I think you said this a couple of times and I want to touch on it, which is around the the idea that you like starting projects. I think anyone out there that is an entrepreneur that is constantly thinking of ideas has the same issue where starting and then sustaining and then finishing a project are totally different skill sets that ideally, you know, one person has or ideally your team has or or you just kind of you know, suffer through it all. So when you are starting a project and you start reaching this point where it's like, okay, well, the kind of like honeymoon phase is starting to wane out. What do you look for? I guess, you know, you talk about money a little bit, but what else do you look for to just kind of keep like what kind of commitments do you make to yourself or like what do you do to make sure that you aren't just jumping from project to project? Yeah, I think, um, well, the project like this, it's turned out to be bigger and longer than I had initially thought, which is just blindness on my part. Um, of course it was going to keep going. Uh, for me, hiring the PR firm and just having other folks be excited about it was so huge. And I look forward to the day that I can actually hire other people. Um, that will probably require, uh, that sounds like a lot of research and time, (laughs) but it's just, it's nice to have other people who are involved in a project and working on it. And, um, I get energy from having coworkers, I guess is, yeah, I, I get energy from other people working on a project with me. And so I knew I had to keep a day job and this couldn't be my full-time job until I can have and afford to have a team. And so until this company um, makes enough money to support a team, I just kind of keep a day job. And that is my like working with other people outlet. Um, And then I can just kind of hammer this out on my own, like a, you know, a couple hours a day and that's fine. I don't think I could work by myself 40 to 60 hours a week um, without other people around, like mm. who are also excited that, about it. Oh, that's interesting. So, like, let's say there's a scenario where you are making enough money where you could replace the your day job with the the income that you're paying yourself from the business, but you'd have to work on it yourself. You would rather hire people to take your place, and, not take your place, but hire people to help continue building and maintain the business while you keep your day job. Yeah, hands down. That's why I hired PR. Oh, that makes sense. I guess you've done that already. Okay, that makes sense. So when you are hiring help, I'm assuming you're hiring people people to help you with things that you don't enjoy doing. Yeah, which is silly because probably the easiest hire to make would be someone to package and ship the swimsuits. But that is like one of the most gratifying parts of this is putting a physical product in an envelope and sending it to someone because so much of my work is not tangible and never has been. Um, and so I love that part and I should probably just hire someone to do it, but it's so enjoyable for me. I, think, I, I, mean, I feel like it's like, it's like fueling you, right? It's fueling you to, to kind of give you the juice you need to continue running this thing. And even though, you know, again, conventional, uh, advice would be run counter to that and say, Oh, you just spend your time on, you know, quote unquote, more value producing activities. If you are doing that and then you're burning yourself out, then the whole thing collapses anyway. So I think 
that's important to not give up the things that fulfill you and fuel you and keep you in the game. Because I think the reason why most people fail on this is because they give up too early, not because something catastrophic happened that's like not recoverable from, you know, like you are usually the ones that are giving up. I mean, you're usually giving up first, you know, so I think it's important that you hold on to that. I think that you recognize that. I think it's important advice that you're giving here, which is to hold on to the things that fulfill you and keep you in the game. So I, I think that, that you're, you're totally doing you know the right thing for your situation. So you also mentioned that um, certain skills like uh, emotional intelligence and empathy are just as useful as knowing how to market, how to write good copy, how to organize inventory. So say more about this, because this is something new that I haven't heard yet on this podcast about emotional intelligence and empathy. I feel, I, feel like, I feel like I'm like a, a robot asking you, but like, what is it meant to you emotional intelligence and empathy? <laughs> I mean, for me, it was what allows me to answer customer service emails and do marketing in a way that I don't sound like a robot or I don't just sound like a copy of generic ad copy that's everywhere. Um, and so I think for s- startups where you're going to be doing a lot of stuff on your own in the beginning, um, you have to have a little heart and you have to be a little vulnerable. I'm a huge fan of Brené Brown, um, the Daring Greatly book about vulnerability and shame. And so especially being in a business like swimsuits where it is a vulnerable thing to be in a swimsuit and there's a lot of body shame around it in the world. And so I just knew from the get-go I was going to have to be very comfortable with this kind of touchy section of the market. Um and especially being trying to be um, oriented towards a, an LGBTQ audience and a plus size audience, again, like talk about vulnerability and shame. Um, and I've been in both of those audiences myself. I have to be comfortable talking to other people about these sometimes uncomfortable parts of ourselves and be able to do it authentically and recognize their humanity. Otherwise, what am I doing? You know? Yeah. So is this, is it, is it learnable, like vulnerability, emotional intelligence, empathy? Can you learn these skills? I think so. Absolutely. Um, I have, (laughs) I've also been in years of therapy. Um, and I think that that helped me develop more emotional intelligence and develop more ability to be real and authentic with other people because I wasn't scared and hiding. Um, the hardest part about being an entrepreneur is just putting myself out there and not taking rejection um personally because i it's my job to kind of like keep an eye on the content or the comment section and to read all the customer service emails and i couldn't be defensive which is my absolutely natural go to um most people and i yeah, yeah well and i i'm especially so um if i get embarrassed i get angry it's not a good look <laughs> as my wife has helped me learn um so i knew that i needed to Um, have those skills to run this particular business. There might be um, businesses that you can run where you don't have to have those things. But for me, they're absolutely necessary for the people I'm interacting with on a daily basis. Yeah, I think authenticity and being able to be vulnerable is is valuable in this day and age where it's so easy to kind of be behind like a mask. And I think it's so easy to slip back into your kind of defenses and put on some kind of mask that's not your true self. So when you are thinking about what you're you're doing, when you're building your brand, when you're communicating with customers, are there certain things that you try to look for? I guess when you're looking at yourself, maybe introspectively to make sure that you are truly being yourself or truly being authentic and truly being vulnerable? Like, are there things that you look at like, oh, I'm proud of myself because I've done X, you know, X, Y, Z today? Yeah, I think, um, I think if I'm understanding it correctly, it's, uh, like, how do I check myself to make sure that I'm not being, being, yeah, exactly. I mean, just time again going slow um giving myself room and space to figure it out um customer service emails i'm not real timely i usually see them right when they come in but i don't answer them right away um good or bad because i just i know i need a day or two to digest um and just like giving myself that space and time i'm not just frantically responding to everything in the minute um I'll, our Facebook page will never have that badge of like responds in 30 seconds because <laughs> um, that's just 
I need time. I'm a slow digester of emotions, both other people's and my own's, and that's just who I am. Again, like if you have time, like go to years of therapy. That was really helpful. <laughs> but in the short term, just kind of like for me, when I write copy or I think about putting something out in the world, I think, you know, how would my best friend take this? How would my wife take this? How would my, how would someone I care about read this and take this? Um, that, cause that's my audience is people I care about. And so even if a customer, I've never met them before, if I'm thinking about like my best friend or something, when I'm writing copy or writing a social media post, I hope that it would mean something to them because I'm being my real self, quote unquote. God, that makes sense. So, you know, thank you so much for your time, Mel. So Beefcake Swimwear, which is at beefcakeswimwear.com is the website. So I'll leave you this with this final question is, what was the biggest lesson that you learned last year that you want to definitely make sure you apply in this year? I'd say trust your gut. Uh, whether it's how to answer someone in an email or what style of swimsuit I wanted to do next, or if I had like a a bad gut feeling about something that I didn't do. Um, and thank God in hindsight, uh, just trust your gut and give yourself again, that like time and space to kind of listen to yourself. I just don't think that there's anything wrong with in a world that is super frenetic and super anxious and super fast with carving out time to go slow and be thoughtful about things and to listen to people and to learn and then trust your gut. I, I, like, I love that. I think that's something that I've been learning too, which is that answers are not always available. Like answers that you're asking your questions that you're asking yourself, you don't have the answers always available right when yeah. you ask it, right? It takes time to almost like let it bubble up. You know, it's kind of like a, it's kind of weird to say, but like, it's like sometimes we look at ourselves, we feel like we can ask ourselves any question and we know, we know ourselves, so why don't we know the answer right away? But I think it's important that, you like you said, you pause, and I think that's the biggest benefit that I'm hearing from your experience, which is that by taking the time to pause, by going at a slower pace, you you kind of let the answers come out, and you you maybe may, maybe make less decisions, but they seem to be more decisions that are aligned with the lifestyle that you want to create. And I think that uh, you know I appreciate you coming on and sharing that because I think it's a, a different path that is not typically uh, talked about. So again, really appreciate you coming on, Mel, and uh, you know you know great good luck with everything. And again, beefkickswimmer.com is a website. And again, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Shopify Masters, the e-commerce podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs powered by Shopify. To get your exclusive 30-day extended trial, visit shopify.com slash masters.